Hello and welcome to Spiritually Queer with me, your host, Jane Lyon, where we talk about all things that intersect queer life and the spiritual path. We'll be exploring everything from sexuality to new age spiritualism, while of course keeping things rooted in tradition and celebrating queer liberation as human liberation. This is a warm and inclusive space for all to come and explore their queerness, their spirituality, and to live in devotion to creating a new earth. Shambhala is right here in front of us. Are you ready to dive in? Hello and welcome to Spiritually Queer, the new podcast with me, your host, Jane Lyon. I'm really excited and I'm I'm almost like in that trying to hold back just from like chatting, catching up, asking you so many questions because I have a really fun guest today, Miss Allison. Allison, what is your last name? <laughs> My last name is Toth, frequently mispronounced as Toth. I totally knew that and I would have said Toth. I had a friend with that last name growing up. He was a dear friend. Yep. Yep. So welcome Miss Allison Toth. And um, oh my gosh, it's yeah, it's funny because I'm just like, I just want to chit chat with you. I just want to catch up with you all morning. I had to keep reminding myself, you're making a show with Allison today. You're working. You're not just like hanging out, but like, also that's the thing I love about my job is that it's like girl time all day. So we'll get into that. But the reason why Allison is on the show today is because she asked me if she could be on the show two different times. And I love people like that. I love people who just put themselves out there and just ask for what they want and also believe that they have an important message to share and feel confident in sharing that. So I was like, um, yes, please. Absolutely. But we were in the middle of a little bit of a rebranding when you asked, there was a lot going on in my world. And, um, I was like, Obviously, I was like, I'm not letting go of that, but we're going to get you on. And then we got to get to know each other at fruition, of course. And you, so I, I still start the show the same way as I did when it was Lioness. I like to kind of describe the way that I project you to be in my mind, the way that I see you, forgetting about your Instagram bio and all of that. And, you know, there's something about just meeting other redheaded girls. I don't know. Just feels like family. Just either we don't like each other <laughs> or we're sisters immediately. Like it's one or the other. Do you feel that way with redheads? That part. Like either they're my enemy and we have like some weird unspoken beef or they're like my soul sister. Yeah. It's like this weird, like, are you a bully or are we friends? I don't know why. <laughs> That's literally what I think when I meet another redhead. Um, and so, yeah, like Allison just feels like such a sister to me. and. You had me on your show over the summer when I was like really struggling with my own mental health and just being on your show and sharing with you and seeing this other woman in the world who also struggles with her mental health, but is just showing up. So like I have full chills when I think about you because you, you show up with so much brightness and color and you're like, yeah, I have these really difficult diagnoses, but like, I'm still going to be kick-ass at life. I'm still going to be a leader. I'm still going to show up and shine. Yeah. And it's just Uh, I just felt so supported by you when I got to be on your show this summer. And then the more we got to know each other at fruition, I was like, oh, you're, you're ready for spiritually queer. Like you will be on the show. It's, it's all happening. And so Allison is the host of the wishing you well podcast. And I really, I wrote down before we got on, I was like, what do I think of when I think of Allison? 
psychedelic feel-good bestie on a mental health journey. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that needs to be my new Instagram bio. I feel so seen by that statement. Oh, yay. Yeah. And that's what I love about being like, I'm going to project what I think of you instead of read whatever your IG bio says. Because I think sometimes it's just nice to feel seen and to know what someone's perspective is of you. And then I'm going to flip it around, Allison, because I want you to share with us, like, really forgetting about your labels or whatever labels you want to share with us. That's fine. But like, who are you today? And how do you want us to see Allison today right now? Yeah. So I think today, Allison is really just embodied by what you said, the like having the very serious mental health struggles, but then projecting into the world, this like very vibrant, happy warm essence because I think that in the mental health world it's very common for us to be like very down very stoic very sad very serious and the thing is like whether we're serious or we're silly and we're goofy we're still going to have our diagnoses right like I could wake up tomorrow and be the world's most serious bitch and I would still be bipolar right Mm -hmm. and so why choose that path when I could choose the path of being like this is a part of me. This is who I am. And I'm going to embody that in its fullest, most vibrant and like crazy and colorful way and show other women, like just because you have a diagnosis that may not seem the most fun and ideal for your life does not mean that you're not capable of living every single dream that you had planned before the diagnosis, if not more. And so I try to be kind of this like bright icon for mental health when you actually do take care of it and what your life can become if you're actually aware and conscious of your mental health every single day and make it a priority. And so that's who I try to be. I try to be like the, uh, the golden star for the bipolar community. I'm like, look guys, this, this isn't great. We were dealt kind of a shitty hand. Life can be filled with ups and downs with this condition, but that doesn't mean we have to miss out. And that doesn't mean we have to just like back out of this incredible, beautiful experience we were brought here to have. Oh, like I'm just getting full chills, like nonstop. I'm just like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) that's what you do to me, girl. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I can't get too loud or it'll, it'll hurt my mic. Um, (laughs) So the first thing that I want to know about really is, you know, you just shared you have this bipolar uh, diagnosis that you're overcoming like a fucking champ. I, overcoming isn't even the word, you know, just like owning it, living with it, being like, this is my life. This is what I do. And I wanted to know more about um, why you started the Wishing You Well podcast and kind of what your intentions are behind that. It was such a warm, beautiful, cozy space for me to be in. And I'm sure that your mental health journey is in that story. So would you like to share with us, Allison? I would love to, Jane. Thank you. Thank you. I would love to share. So Wishing You Wellness was born in Death Valley National Park, California in January of 2021 or 22 this year, this January. And I was living out in Death Valley. I had actually gone out there unknowing to my whole support system, my life to sober up. Like I was already on my sobriety journey. I was getting clean from benzos and I was just like going out there to like reset, refresh, get clean and come back and start my life. And so I went out there like very new into sobriety. I was like sober curious, but hadn't like really made those big steps yet. And I went out there and everything changed for me. I was living in the remote desert. There was no clubs, no bars, no distractions. It was just me and the earth around me. And it was the perfect place to put myself for me to get back on track. Like it really was what saved my life. And I tell people it's so funny because the most dangerous place in the United States, like Death Valley, is what saved me. Like that was my haven. Like that did it for me. And so I went out there and 
you know, things started getting kind of hard because I was going through the sobriety journey as somebody with bipolar disorder. And so not only was I crashing down off of two years of using anxiety meds, but I was crashing down into a depression too. And so things started getting kind of dark and wishing you wellness was kind of like what I turned to. Like, I remember thinking like, I have so much to say and so much to tell people who are in my shoes, but I don't know how to reach them. Like, how do I tell people? I knew I wanted to write a book. But that seemed like impossible at the time. I was like, there's no way I'll sit down. I was like, what can I do? So I kept hearing about podcasts, hearing about them, but I was never really sure what they were. I didn't like listen to them. And then one day I'm on Spotify and a little, little thing pops up that says Breaking Butterfly. And I'm like, what's that? And so I click on it. And in the first day I binge like 10 of Maddie's episodes. And I'm like, who is this person? who is this person? They are specifically calling me out right now. Like she has no idea who I am, but she's speaking to me and saying, get your ass in gear. You have a message, go. And that's, I found my mentor. I found one of my mentors that day. And so I, after I heard Maddie's podcast, I was like, I have to do this. Like other girls are doing this. I have a message that somebody needs to hear, even if it's uncomfortable and scary for me. I need to do it. And so that's when Wishing You Wellness was born. And I began by recording on my phone these like really choppy, like insecure, like shaky episodes. And then one day it blossomed into what it is now, which is my precious little mental health advocating baby. My God, that's such an amazing story. Wow. And, you know, I just got to say, like, first of all, choosing to go to Death Valley. I'm just curious, why did you choose that? I'm like, is this Coach Jane coming out or is this genuine, you know, like there's a story (laughs) here, you know? So I've always been a runner. I've always been a things go bad. So like, I remember the last time things got bad, I moved to New York for three months. And then like this time things were getting bad. And I was like, I need a change of scenery. Like I can't be reborn in the place that kind of like grew this part of me. And so I was like, let's look at national parks. And so I applied for a bunch. I got a job offer at Yellowstone and Yosemite, but I saw pictures of Death Valley and I was like, I'm being called to this place. I was like, I don't know why. I have no idea why. It's 30 hours from where I live. It's the middle of the fucking desert. There's no green. There's no water. There's no trees. I'm like, why am I being called here? But the universe just kept saying, that's the place. Go. And I was like, okay. And it was so good that I did because it happened to be exactly what I was needing. There was a lot of lessons that I was taught in Death Valley that I don't think I could have learned anywhere else. Like they were very specific to me being in Death Valley and the um, job that I had out there and stuff. And it's weird how it all aligned because I'm back in St. Louis now where I come from and I'm here for another year or so before I take off again. But as I'm here, I'm like, wow, I really needed to get back here. And I don't know if I would have gone somewhere else if I would have wound up back here. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I'm so proud of you for just, you know, you can say that you're a runner, but I think that sometimes we need to get out of the stagnant space that we're in, get out of seeing the same thing over and over again, seeing the same spaces over and over again. Like for me, leaving Salt Lake, something that told me like, I have to get out of here. That was like this constant voice in my head was just driving down the same streets I've been driving down my whole life that are just lined with memories of who I used to be and just lined with memories of people I used to know who used to see me in a certain way. And it just is like old self constantly being reflected. And now that I'm, I've been in the jungle, now I'm back in kind of more of a residential town in Mexico, but it's just like, oh, it's so nice that 
There's nothing here reflecting anything about me. Nobody knows who I am. No one gives a fuck about who I am. And it's like, you can let go of all, you can just let go of so much and really be with yourself when you, when you run away. And so I'm proud of you for doing that. And what Man. a cool story. Oh my gosh. And then, and then it was, and then it was all born and it all is so connected. And so you started wishing you well. And I'm, I'm curious, were you nervous to share like your, your diagnosis and your mental health journey and all of that? Cause I feel pretty brave. Right. Thank yeah. you. I the point I would have been, but I have had my bipolar diagnosis now for upwards of five years. I've known for much longer than that, but I've had my actual official diagnosis. And this year I got like my full diagnosis. And like the difference in that is there are two types of bipolar and not a lot of people know this, but type one is like the very severe mania into in the hospital. It can be really detached from reality, psychotic features, stuff like that. Type two is what most people have which is hypomania, you know, you get driving really fast, you spend your money way too fast, like those kind of manic efforts. But I found out this year I have type one bipolar, which made so much sense to me because I have actually experienced psychosis. I have experienced like tripping when I'm not tripping, which is like way less fun, by the way, you guys, like when you're oh, not yeah, like, I'm sure not the vibe. Um, yeah. And so getting that diagnosis finally and having a doctor say, you are valid in all of these like wild highs and lows and like unpredictable moments that you've had has been like such a like confirming thing that I just feel fucking great. And I'm ready to be like, Hey, listen, listen, if you admit to yourself, if you're brave enough to be like, okay, I think I need to get help. I'm going to go see a psychiatrist. That's so big. Cause so many people don't want to go in to get their diagnosis because if they get the diagnosis now I'm bipolar newsflash, you're already bipolar. So you might as well get the help so you can live a very stable and happy and fulfilling life rather than one that's filled with those ups and downs and those like unpredictable swings. And so I think that when I am brave and I step forward and say, I'm bipolar and I'm fucking cool with that, that shows other women that they can step forward and be like, wait, I don't have to hate myself. I don't have to feel crazy. I don't have to feel because it's one of the most stigmatized illnesses in the whole world. Like bipolar and borderline personality disorder are the two that people are just like crazy, crazy. And people love to just like hashtag crazy. It. And it's like, it's not productive to actually helping people get better and get the resources they need. And so I try to counteract a bunch of that by just being like, boom, suck my bipolar dick. <laughs> yeah. I love oh that. <laughs> yes. We will save that. That will be clipped and posted. Don't even worry about it. Oh my God. You are such a hero to so many people. And you know, this definitely like it hits home for me. There's like a little voice in my head. That's like, do you want to share this? But one of my first, actually my first legitimate girlfriend um, was manic bipolar and we didn't know. And there was a day when she had an episode and I thought she was dying. Honestly, I literally thought she was dying in front of me. And it was so terrifying. Like I called 911 and like an ambulance came and they were like, she's just having an episode. You need to take her to uni. And like still in her episode, still just completely like on another planet, not there. I, it was like one of the longest, hardest days of my life. Like I get her checked into uni, get her treated. And the therapist says like, you have manic bipolar disorder and like you need treatment. And that was a relief to me. I was like, this, this makes sense. This makes sense. We can treat this. We can work on this. We can focus on this like beautiful, you know? And 
um, we started treating her and I started seeing her come back and she was just so beautiful and I was falling in love with her again. And at some point, like, and there's still this voice in my head that's like, is it okay to share this story? But at some point she, I don't, I don't know what it was. She just stopped wanting to try and she didn't want to be treated anymore. And she wanted to just keep drinking all the time. And she wanted to just be chaotic as fuck. And I had to make the choice to be like, okay, if you don't, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I had to leave that relationship. And it was so heartbreaking because I'm someone who also has been given a diagnosis that fucking sucks. And they told me I would be anorexic my whole life and that I would always, always struggle. And here's what I have to say about receiving a diagnosis. It really, it, it, like there's, if, if we cut open Allison, we're not gonna find bipolar disorder anywhere. It doesn't actually exist inside of her. It's not actually matter, right? You open me up and just like green goo everywhere. They're like, oh, it's actually here. It's there. You know, like that that's it's that's not what it is. It's a label that the doctors are giving you so that we can create a treatment plan that is for you and what's happening to you in your body and mind and spirit so that someday this label isn't running your life because you're like once when I went into treatment, kind of like, I love what you said that you felt validated. When I checked myself into treatment, I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. They were like, you're, you have anorexia. And I was like, what? Right. It's like, that's how gone I was that I was like, not computing. I don't understand. And they were like, okay, so this is the label. This is the diagnosis. And this is the treatment we need to put you in now. And even though at the time I was still like, I don't think that's the problem. I think I'm just depressed, blah, 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 this and that. They were like, well, this is the treatment plan. And the treatment plan really helped me realize like, okay, this is the issue. This is what I need to deal with. And this summer I had kind of a rude awakening of like, you might think you're recovered, but like this thing still lives in you and you can't just ignore it. Like you have to, and I've, I've been learning, like I hired an eating disorder coach and I had a session with her yesterday and I'm realizing like, if you want to stay on top of the mental illness diagnosis that you have, it's kind of like constantly going into the psyche and being like, where are you? Where are you still (laughs) existing? Where am I not noticing you so that you can really stay on top of it? And that was such a huge lesson for me. So that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And especially thank you for sharing the story about you and your ex, because that's actually a point that I wanted to bring to the forefront is you, uh, whether you knew this or not at the time, by you kind of saying, I'm going to set this boundary and step back, you did one of the biggest and most helpful things you could have for her because a part, a natural part, I believe of the bipolar journey is rock bottom. And we don't, I don't like that. I don't like having to tell people you kind of got to bottom out, but it is true because bipolar, one of the big features of bipolar is that mania and that heightened sense of I am God, nothing can touch me. I don't need help. I got this. And so to get a bipolar person ready, fully ready to be treated, you have to address that first. And that's like a very ego strong hold. And so it can be really hard for people to be ready to get help. And oftentimes people with bipolar disorder will unknowingly become abusive emotionally or however to their partners and to their friends and family. And it really does take losing people for you to get to that point of like, oh shit, okay, I need to do better or I won't have people in my life because that's exactly what happened to me. I lost a partner and a best friend at the same time because they were like, we love you. We can't keep cleaning up your messes. It's not fair to us. We are exhausted and it hurt, but I needed to hear that. And I needed to realize, Allison, you're bipolar, albeit not 
quote unquote fair that you got it is your responsibility, mm-hmm. right? And so you can't show up and make it other people's job and other people seem to fix you because as much as support is a very crucial and like very, very important part of recovery, mm-hmm. we also can't supplement our desire to get better with other people wanting us to get better. Because if you're just getting help or taking meds for other people, you'll stop. Mm-hmm. You will stop once you get whatever the desired thing is. But if you're doing it for yourself and because you want to stay on the wagon and you don't want to have the highs and lows anymore, that's completely different. So people have to kind of naturally get to that spot of like, okay, mm-hmm. this is it. Like if I want to get better, I have to be the one. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people like what you described will be like really excited and gung-ho about it and then fall off. Mm-hmm. And I think this all ties back into addiction recovery, which is another thing I'm a huge, huge advocate for. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like you were saying with being anorexic, it never really goes away. It's the same way with your addiction. Like I say, I went through addiction recovery. What I mean is I'm an addict. I will always be an addict until the day I leave this earth. I will always have to like keep my guard up around certain substances and watch my reasoning for why I'm partaking in recreational or pharmaceutical drugs. And yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's never ending. And you're always kind of like sifting through the psyche, like picking out things and like trying to address things, I guess. Mm, Yeah. You know, I realized this summer that going through like clinical treatment for anorexia, I, I, created this recovered version of myself and with my coach yesterday we were like is she the healthy self or is she the ed self like I don't know and that's been the freaky part is that I feel like I put on this facade that was healed for the doctors and healed for the nutritionists and healed for the therapists and like doing all of like the things that look recovered and that's what I realized was so like uh, what's the word like evasive there's a better word for me to use but like the the kind of viciousness of these kinds of mental health issues like I really have I've been having to break down the recovered version of myself and that's been the crazy experience it was very external it was very I need everyone around me to see that I'm recovered and and then when uh, when I was left with just myself alone I was like oh my god I'm not recovered. I'm falling apart. Like I'm not okay. This disease is like very alive and well inside of my body. And so that's been a crazy experience of like, I, I really thought that I had, I had put that diagnosis like so far away. Nope. It's there. And, oh, you're just like, you offered so much wisdom just now. Like, oh my God. Like I just keep getting full chills. And I just am also really grateful for what you said, because it feels really validating for me. Like, I think the reason why I don't want to share that story or didn't want to is because what if she listens to it? And and that girl, if she is listening and she, she knows who she is, I like, I loved her so much. I really like, and I think about it all the day, how much I loved her and also how much pain was there in her not wanting to heal and how hard it was for me to be like, I know you're going through this. I want to be there for you. I want to support you, but now I'm falling apart and I have to get away. And it's so gotta I be, just, it's, yeah. that's what I tell her is that the suicide prevention hotline, you know, I love you. I want to help you, but this has to be collaborative. It has to be both of us working together because somebody can't do your mental work for you. And so I think that's exactly what you're kind of saying in that situation. Like, I love you. I care about you so deeply, but this is just kind of like where I get off because I'm not able to do the work of two people or even, you know, another person that's not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. And I think the wisdom here, if you aren't getting the wisdom from big sister Alice in here, you guys, it's 
that you have to go on this journey for yourself. You have to create a refuge within yourself that you are doing it for nobody but you. And if you have to drive out to Death Valley and be alone and work on your healing, do it for you because I have learned, and I think I'm so deep into my journey. I have learned if you do it for other people, it's broken. It's not sustainable. You have to do it for yourself. Yeah. It's not truthfully you if you're doing it for other people. Something I wanted, something that came up for me was when we were talking about this recovered self, why do you think that we project this um, recovered self to the world? Do you, you think it's so people will see hope? Like, do you think there's good intentions behind it? Like we really want people to see that you can get truly better and be perfect, even though that's not maybe the best way to go about it. Where do you think that comes from? Oh, what a great question. You know, I think um, the thing that motive, the thing that motivated me to get serious about treatment was seeing the fear and the worry in my friends and my family's eyes, right? So that's what motivated me to get better was, oh my God, I can't have my best friends looking at me like they're about to cry because they're seeing me dying in front of their eyes and they are helpless. They have no idea how to help me. Like that's really what motivated me to be like, I got to do this for the people that love me. Like I got to get help. I got to get better. And that's not a bad reason to want to get help. I didn't value myself enough to do it for me, you know? And then I did start healing. My physical body started healing. My mind started healing. I was able to just eat like a regular person. All of these crazy rules and obsessive compulsive, you know, tendencies were going away and I was able to just eat normally. And so, uh, so I, you know, I really felt recovered. I looked recovered, all of these things, but hmm, I'm like, I'm like wanting to make sure that I'm answering your message, answering your question clearly. I did very much want to represent what a recovered person looks like. And the thing for me is that through my whole journey, they said, you will have this forever. You will struggle forever. This will never get better. And that at that moment, I was like, then why the fuck am I doing this? If you're telling me that every time I have to eat a meal, I'm going to have a panic attack for the rest of my life. And that I'm going to have to take Buspirone and Xanax every single day to deal with like, then why, why the fuck should I keep going? Kill me. Is there a suicide option? Because I don't want to do this, you know? And, and I think that's like, the thing that people don't understand about eating disorders is like when you can't eat, your life is so terribly miserable. You don't want to be alive anymore. And you're so, dying. Yeah. It's one of your oh, yeah. functions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's the most deadly mental health issue because it keeps you from nourishing yourself. And so, yeah, I was like, what's the fucking point? The point at that point for me was I can't like let the people that love me watch me die like this. And so I'm going to start getting better. And then I did start getting better and these, this, this heaviness started to wear off. And when I, I read a book um, that my coach is certified, like through those authors of that book, through those doctors, and it's just an amazing program. It's called the eight keys to recovery. And in that book, it said, you can live a recovered life. We want you to start visualizing what it would be to be recovered. And I think that for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to grasp onto that and be recovered instead of like, you're not recovered until you no longer have any disordered tendencies. And when my last girlfriend broke up with me, the first thing I noticed was these really weird food. Food rules coming up. Like I went to a restaurant, ordered a sandwich, they cut it in half and served it to me. And my brain went, now you can only eat half. And I was like, where did, where this did come that from? come from? Why can I only eat half of it? And it was like, 
because little bitch, you can only eat half because you don't deserve the whole thing. And I was just like, okay. And I only ate half. And then I was like, I guess I'm under control of the eating disorder now. And that's when I realized like, you're not recovered. This is not how a recovered person lives. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I relate to that very much because when I moved out to Death Valley, I had very much put on the recovered facade because I had gone a couple bits of like 50 days sober, 70 days sober or whatever. So I was very much just like loud about that, but quiet about the relapse I had right before I moved out to Death Valley. And I realized that I wasn't helping people by being dishonest and like putting on the perfect recovery as Mm -hmm. much as I was helping people when I literally got on and made a podcast out in Death Valley and was like, to be honest with you guys, I almost relapse once a month. I have to fight like for my life every single month against addiction. Mm -hmm. And this thing is not pretty. It brings out a very ugly side of me. It brings out parts of myself that I wish I could cut out and like erase, but I have to be fully transparent in what this is. So people don't get a twisted idea of what recovery looks like. And so people don't think, Oh, recovery is just like two simple steps. You move to death Valley. You're good. All right. That's it. Like, no, it's so, it's so much more than moving to the desert. It is like sleepless nights. and like relearning how to process anxiety after somebody who you said you've been prescribed benzos too, like somebody who has experienced that feeling of no anxiety. It is so hard to relearn how to face anxiety and not just break down and crumble underneath the weight of it. Like I remember just like feeling so, so calm all the time when I was on Xanax for all these years. And then I got off of it and I was like, it literally feels like all of your body is covered in burns and you were just exposed in like freezing cold wind. Like every single thing that happens feels huge and monumental because there's not this big heavy veil over it like you're actually there and present and alive whereas benzos in my experience kind of zombified me and so I think that that's like that's like a huge a huge thing that came up for me oh yes oh my gosh and and it really you guys it's I'm 28 now I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was 19 so like it's a journey it's been 10 years of me and and now like I'm grateful that I now I've switched to seeing my coach just once a month to just tune in. What are these disordered thoughts coming up? Like, where is it still alive in you? Because it's like, and for me, the second that I tell her I don't need you is like when we need to be concerned. Like, I will never not, I will never stop seeing this woman, even if it means once every season, you know, I need someone who can look at me and be like, are you having these thoughts still? Are you having these tendencies? Are you acting on them? Are you engaging? Because I am at a point where I'm like, I, I can hold myself accountable, but these things are so elusive. That's the word I've been looking for. It's so elusive. You need someone else who can call you out. Uh, totally. And support community is just like something they preach across all realms of recovery. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have people who understand what you're going to. You can't just go to anybody and be like, hey, you know, I'm kind of having this feeling that I want to take this pill or I want to skip a meal because a lot of people, as much as we love them, aren't really going to know what to do with that. And they may give kind of misguided advice because they don't know any better, right? Like I remember my friends coming to me in high school and being like, oh, like we're struggling with drinking too much and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't drink at the time. So I was like, just stop. I was like offering up like the most useless advice of like put down the bottle. And that's kind of the advice that we get from people who aren't, who haven't walked in our shoes because they don't know any better. It's good mm-hmm. intentions. But like they can't help us if they haven't been through what we've been through. And so yeah. in sobriety, like in anything to do with like your bipolar recovery, I tell people you need to have some kind of group or community or a therapist or whoever it is that holds you accountable. And I love how you said, if I ever don't want to go to my person, like that's a red flag, like worry about me. Cause that's me with my therapist. Like as someone with bipolar, I need to always be in therapy. And sometimes I'll start mm-hmm. feeling real good. And I'm like, Mark, I'm not coming this week. And he's like, Allison, you're 
Like, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, all right. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, oh, there is just, uh, there's so many things. There's so many ways that we could take this direction um, or this conversation, but I do kind of want to change direction a little bit, lighten things up for everyone who is listening. Um, because something that Allison and I were talking about at fruition is just sexuality and just what, you know, you guys, Allison's a bisexual, they do exist. They're real. This is what I say every time I have a bisexual on the show. The elusive bisexuals. She's here. She's queer. She exists. And I want to validate her. And I honestly, I don't have any questions for you. I feel like I feel like you almost need the spiritually queer space to like talk through what it's like to be bi and like be supported and seen. Yeah, yeah, I need this space. And I'm gonna I'm gonna use you because I just (laughs) you guys I actually already have tapped into Jane on this. So story time, let's set the scene. We're at fruition. Okay, we're on this beautiful rooftop, the waves are crashing, Jane is leading yoga. And we're about to like fall into this like almost happy baby pose, but a little bit different. And Jane goes, okay, this next pose may be a little triggering for you guys. And I'm like, weird. Okay. So we get into the pose and your girl starts bawling. I just start Mm. crying and I'm like, what is going on? So Jane comes over and like puts her hands on me. She's like, you're safe. You're safe. After that class, we had a talk, like a one-on-one talk about my wounded relationship with the masculine. How I have like some weird tension with the masculine. And I was like, Jane, can I be so honest with you? And she was like, yeah. I was like, I feel like I go for men because like, it won't hurt me. But like really deep down, if I'm following my soul, I want to be with women. Like the one time I dated a girl was like, woo, like game changing, eye opening. It felt like I'd never dated before. And this was like what it was supposed to be like. I was like, I know what to do. I was like, Jane, I have imposter syndrome about being bisexual because in my mind, it sounds so crazy, but it's always been like part of being gay is the fact that you have to deal with struggles and you have to deal with being discriminated against and like having fucking laws made that tell you you can't marry who you're in love with. And so I felt as someone who could like flip the mask and be straight presenting as soon as I wanted to, I felt like an imposter as a bisexual because how am I truly queer if I don't go through the struggles of being queer? Because as soon as somebody looks at me weird for holding my girlfriend's hand in public, I can drop it and I can look normal. And so how then am I actually queer? It's like this weird imposter syndrome popping up around being queer. Oh my God, Allison. Well, first of all, I feel like everything you just said is what every like lesbian and gay and trans person would wish that bisexuals understand. Like, I feel like exactly what you just said is the only reason why bisexuals get shade and hate on TikTok because the world is the TikTok world is like where the gay the gays come to hate each other. For whatever reason. Yeah, which is like why I changed the whole direction of the show because I'm so sick of seeing these wounded gays attacking each other. But you're exactly, okay, I was about to say you're exactly right, but I don't want to validate your imposter syndrome because what you're saying is validating for us who don't get to act straight. And I'm very passing. Like, you know, not a lot of people look at me and they're like, oh, what a dyke. So I get that on a level, um, but I also I've only had girlfriends for the past like you know seven eight years and so I know I I live in that constant discomfort of like I hope that they're okay with this you know and and so you haven't had all of those experiences but that doesn't make you less gay at all that's so that's so validating to hear and just like something that my ears needed because like there's just times where I go about my 
experience and I'm like I gaslight myself I'm like are you gay I'm like are you sure and I think a part of that come or came from when I came out most of my family was like very accepting they were like we totally knew actually but I had like one person in particular who's kind of like are you sure like you have always been so boy crazy and so into men and I was like let's pause for a second and consider the possibility that I was like shoving all of these men in trying to fill a woman-shaped hole that's exactly what I told Jane on the roof I was like I think I'm just like trying to supplement a girlfriend with like all of these men and I'm just Mm -hmm. like not filling me the way that I want it to because I think that at this point I may be looking for a woman and so of course a man's not going to be able to step in and fill that role unless he's like incredibly feminine and wonderful and like maybe he is out there for me they are out there for me but yeah yeah Ugh, and I think that's the that's to me that is one of the most frustrating parts about trying to come out and explore your sexuality and that's why I was like can we have this conversation on the podcast because when I came out oh I got the same same thing. Are you sure? It's like, yo, I've been closeted for years. Do you know how many girls I've been with on the fucking DL? Do you know how painful this is? Like, I'm sure, trust me, I'm sure. But what I kept doing after I came out is I kept saying yes to going to dates, going on dates with men because guys kept on asking me out. And I would say, you know, I'm, I'm fluid. I think I'm pan. Like, you know, I date a lot of girls too. And then be like, chill with that. And I'd be like, okay, let's go on a date. And I got to a point where I was, I, (laughs) I went on a double date with one of my best friends and her boyfriend's friend. And we sat down and he looked at me and I just, in my head was like, he knows I'm a dyke. Like he knows, he knows everybody here knows why am I here? What am I doing? And then I proceeded to get very drunk on that date. And Lauren gets me back to her car and she's like, are you okay? And I just started bawling. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to date men anymore. And she's like, babe, babe, babe. What if we decided right now, tonight, you are never going on a date with another man again? Like, how would that feel? And I was like, "Eh." (laughs) like, we're done. We're done. No more. It's over. No more men. Okay. And I was like, okay. And so, you know, I think that it's like, that was so relieving to me to just be like, I'm done dating men. Like we, once we come out, once we're just a little bit like, Hey, I'm fluid. This is happening. I met this person or whatever it is. It's usually, it's usually I met a person or I'm wishing I would meet a person that makes us realize that we're not straight. And then everybody around you needs you to explain it and validate it and I think that gets to a really weird point where it's like I don't know how I can explain to a random ass person that's curious how much I love to eat pussy like that just feels like a completely inappropriate question to be asking me ask it they want to ask it you give them the fucking answer you give them the play-by-play you want to be nosy you're gonna hear all the details about my pre-sex listen right and that's the thing is that my mom actually helped me realize this because my mom was so supportive of everything but in salt lake city especially people talk and one of her friends called and was like i heard that jane's gay like has she been sleeping with girls like what's going on and my mom was like are you calling me to ask me about my daughter's sex life like that's weird <laughs> that, that bit because straight kids like little kids who are straight five years old were like oh she's gonna break hearts he's such a ladies man and we're so casual about it but the idea of two little girls holding hands god forbid the world would burn right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and so I think for anyone listening who's trying to figure out their sexuality you don't need to figure it out and that's why I think this TikTok world is so toxic because they're like bisexuals are this way and lesbians are this way and everyone's this way and it's like 
we're all fluid, queer people. Let's let each other be. And then I think the only thing here is just acknowledging when one group feels significantly more oppressed than another group. And that one group might just want to be a little bit validated. But at the same time, can't we all kind of validate that we're all being oppressed? Because I think that being bisexual can probably be just as equally as frustrating, maybe if not more than being lesbian. Because when I say I'm a lesbian, it's crystal clear. There's no room for interpretation there. That's it. And I just, I just, you know, I just feel like I want, I have a lot of bisexual friends and I feel like I watch you guys just get fucking hate. And I'm just sorry for it. Like you don't need to be any certain kind of gay for us. You can date men all you want and, and still be bisexual. Like I feel so validated. Oh, and there's like so many stigmas I think associated with being bisexual. Like bisexual people just want threesomes. I'm like, shut up. We all want threesomes. Why are you trying to make that bisexual thing? (laughs) Yeah, they're just perfect for threesomes. That's all. I know we're just the ideal candidate, the ideal yeah. person, but like, don't give us hate for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, share, and like, oh, to share a ahead. quick funny story, this is really tiny and quick. But when I came out to my mom, it was one of my favorite people I came out to because I was like, Mom, got to tell you something. She was like, Allison, we know. And I was like, Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. So she's like, I'm gay. I also like women. And she's like, No, no, we know. And I'm like, Okay, how'd you know? She was like, Well, in third grade, you would have all your friends over for sleepovers and there would be kissing contests. And you were the judge. And I was like, good for me. (laughs) I was like, girls, line up, line up. Oh my God. Well, okay. I have to tell you this because I I mean, I, I feel like I've talked about this so many times. Everybody knows this. When we got to fruition, all of my little lesbian girl wounds were just, yeah. I was like, whoa, I am not expecting this at all. And some voice in my head was like you are the gay girl in a room of 17 straight girls and they're all having sleepover vibes and you're gonna make them all so uncomfortable and it was like I didn't think that any of this was true but it was literally like I was 16 again at a sleepover with a bunch of cheerleaders and they were skinny dipping or doing something like scandalous that like fucked me up (laughs) I feel like I'm fruition Yeah, no. And here's, here's the thing is that I literally thought I was the only gay girl at fruition because I'm so used to assuming that about myself. And there was a point in which I left because I was feeling super uncomfortable. I left a couple of times to deal with what the fuck was going on with me. And I was wearing my car, my big cargo pants and this big old vintage Grateful Dead shirt and probably like a, a little bucket hat or something. And I was leaving and you just go, Jane, you look so sexy. And I was just like, what? Like, I look so gay right now. And she just said I look sexy. And I was like, that's like the nicest thing I've ever heard. And then of course, the weekend turns into me realizing that, like, eventually, I'm playing pool with like four straight up lesbians. And then like half the girls there are bisexual. And, you know, Megan complimented me on my undercut. And then I just fell in love in like two seconds flat. (laughs) And I healed that little sleepover wounded young self and I just have to tell you when you complimented my whole look that I had on when I just felt like I looked about as homo as I could ever look I appreciated that so much and I think it's so nice to just be around a bunch of gay girls and just feeling so seen and loved it's so healing and I love that you talked about like that bringing up a wound for you because I feel like a lot of us had like you had that wound coming up and then I had like the sisterhood wound of like oh none of these girls like me right they're all too cool for me they're talking about me so I feel like we all had some kind of like weird like oh this this is like a shock to the system like there's so many girls in one spot who are like being nice to each other and kind like 
it's sending up all of these like red flags because we aren't used to having a huge group of supportive and loving and kind women around us. Like none of us, I don't think had ever experienced anything like that. And I'm telling my girls in my group program revive right now, a couple of them have messaged me and been like, I'm a little shy in the group chat. Like, how do I get started? I'm scared. The girls won't like me. And I'm like, listen, ladies, I found all of my bridesmaids at fruition. I'm like, I literally found all of my future. Like they're going to be by me my whole life. I'm like, I found my home girls. I'm like these coaching programs, these containers are the place to find people because the people around you aren't girls. You're going to meet at the bar, right? These are girls who are like wanting to be a better version of themselves and who are actively investing in themselves every single day with their time, with their money, with their efforts. And so when you're surrounded by people like that, who are healed or going through the process of healing, you're going to have healthier and like better relationships that re-solidify in your brain. Like female friendships can be healthy and supportive and non-jealous and non-territorial and all of these good things. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think that's why fruition was so crazy for all of us because we all went there with such loving, pure intentions of just that vibration that we brought. And then we also brought like our wounded selves to be healed. And like, no one, no one was expecting it to be the incredible weekend that it was. And so, um, yeah, I'm just so grateful that you were there to share your space and your love. And I want to hear more about your containers and the way that you're supporting others, especially if someone's listening and they're like, I need to be in Allison's world. Like, I want to hear all about it. What do you do? So I launched Revive two weeks ago. It's my first ever group coaching container. It is four weeks. It begins at the beginning of the year. And basically I'm teaching my girls how to understand and regulate their nervous systems. And so we're going to do all about like hypo versus hyper arousal, how to stay in your window of tolerance. And I'm just going to teach them tons of coping strategies and stuff. Um, If you guys don't know, I work at a suicide prevention hotline. So I help people every single day in crisis who are like having a panic attack or having psychosis or mental breakdown. And so one of my really strong suits is being able to de-escalate and get people back to an emotional baseline, which is very, very important work and work that I'm so mm. proud to do. And I hope to take so much of that into Revive with me because Revive is all built on this idea that you can have everything you want if your mental health is always the top concern. If you are always taking care of that mental health, always watching for burnout, always looking for signs of like, oh, I need a rest, like always just making that the top, top concern. And so in Revive, me and these, these 10, 12 12, 12 beautiful women are going to go through the four weeks and I'm going to see so much growth in them. I'm already seeing it. They have one-to-one access with me and like my phone is blowing up every day with just random like mindset shift, money mindset shift. And I'm just like, yes, Mm. yes. I feel so fulfilled because I talked to Maddie about this a while ago, but I had so much imposter syndrome come up with coaching. I was just Mm. like, Allison, you're a bipolar recovering addict. Who the fuck is going to want to learn from you? Like I was so mean to myself. I was like, there's no way. And then I realized, I was like, Allison, that's your fucking superpower, right? Yeah. You have already survived what takes down so many people. So you are literally the person to learn from when it comes to being bipolar and still living your dreams because you're doing that. You're embodying that fully. And so, yes. yeah, I've survived again a few more times and I'm working on throwing a retreat together and all the good stuff. Yes, I love this so much. And yeah, you know, people hire me because because they see that I've been through their journey already. Like, you know, no one wants to hire a coach that's like had a perfect life. Like you have nothing to learn from. So that is the sacred ground that you walk on, you know, is your experience and and your wisdom. And actually uh, yesterday I was making a little bonus mini masterclass for 
my sanctuary girls called emotional sovereignty, because obviously it's something that I love to teach. And while I was teaching like the emotional sovereignty, like um, unraveling a trigger, what to do with a trigger, how to move through a trigger. I was like, the, I was realizing like the basis of this is living a life where you're healing your nervous system so that you're not getting so triggered all the time. And then I was like, the basis of everything I am teaching is how to heal your nervous system. So you're not getting so triggered all the time. Yeah. And I think for, um, you know, something I've been hearing a lot in my realm for my listeners, if you're trying to get off of your meds, if you're um, maybe on meds, but still feeling really worked up all the time, if you're in some sort of mental health treatment right now, the things that they're teaching you in a clinical setting is going to keep you alive, but it's not going to inspire you in the way that what Allison is here to offer you. And I just like, really, really, I'm like wanting to like send everyone there because I have absolutely no doubt that what you are sharing with these girls in Revive is so groundbreaking because once we learn the nervous system, the parasympathetic, the sympathetic, the fight or flight, and how to somatically work with your body and learn your tolerance levels, all of these things that you just said, we can gain control of our mental health. And once we have control of our mental health, once you've realized you've healed your nervous system, like I was, I was teaching how to have a trigger and I was trying to like think of a time that I've been triggered last to like give an example. And I was like, oh, there was that one night and I was really, really upset. And, um, and I was like, this is awesome. I'm really upset so that I can like actually work through something and like find out something new about myself and like learn to like step into my power here and like uncover what's actually going on because it's been so long since I've actually been like genuinely triggered and upset. That gave me chills. That is like the mindset shift I want to lean into. Like this idea that like something uncomfortable happening is literally just an opportunity for you to deepen and better your relationship with yourself and your nervous system. I tell people Mm -hmm. who are like experiencing like incoming panic or a panic attack greet it literally roll out the fucking red carpet ask it to come in make it a tea let it sit there with you like this anxiety this panic going anywhere and the faster you run it's gonna get on a fucking moped and run your ass down like it is fast (laughs) so stop running from your panic stand in your fur and say i can exist in the same space as panic without dying i love that yes 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 welcome it in be like hello actually i was um i texted that to my meditation mastery group this morning because they check in with how their meditations are going and pretty much all of them are like i was sitting today and i got frustrated um but i did it anyways and i just respond welcome the frustration i was sitting today and my brain was just so chattery it was so annoying welcome the chatter welcome the annoyance like this is why we meditate y'all like welcome what's happening when your anxiety arises when your panic arises a you can be like okay take me take me down or you can be like hello welcome would you like to sit you know it's like do you want to let a robber into your home to just come destroy you or do you want to be like i see you let me open the door for you and welcome you in and see what you have to share with me. Because when we do that, you know, I was alone in the jungle that night that I got really upset. I was so hurt by a a person, by a person's actions. And that night actually was the most depth that I had with myself during my little solitary retreat, because I was like, I was scared that someone I really loved was going to abandon me. And I had to be with myself through that whole night and say, everyone could abandon you. Everyone's going to die. You're going to die. Are you going to take care of yourself if someone abandons you? And I had to just be with myself that whole night. And 
if I hadn't had that trigger, if I hadn't had that fear of abandonment, then I wouldn't have gotten to access that deeper depth with myself and having that whole night of like blasting Coldplay and sitting in the shower and drinking bourbon and being like, I'm going to love you if nobody loves you. I'm going to love you if nobody loves you. Stop. I feel so seen because me with Coldplay. (laughs) No, I was like, (laughs) I was about to like send my sisters a, a picture of like, cold play on the tv and the bottle of bourbon and just be like we're fine (laughs) it's okay this is probably why everybody looks at me weird when I say cold play is my favorite music they're probably like are you okay (laughs) oh my god I love this I love that we have this connection I don't know what it is about cold play y'all but they're great listen I have seen them live three times (gasps) I've taken like zero times and have felt like I was tripping my balls off all three times like literally Mm -hmm. just like the colors and like you see their videos in Sao Paulo and they have like all these fireworks I'm like oh they are incredible Mm -hmm. did they have the glowing bracelets when you went yeah my dad took me to see them in Portland when I was 18 it's kind of a family thing I think that's why I like Coldplay like we all listen to it together and I think that's why it's just like feels really comforting to me when I'm like in my abandonment wound I'm like you're loved, you're loved. Like when I go to Coldplay concerts, I hear every different language in the crowd because it's like people from around the world. It's very international. It brings people together music. Music, man. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. I am just, this is, so, uh, I love you. I love you so much. I have so many other things that I want to say, but I'm going to just let us start winding down and um, definitely like have you on for some more conversations, some more gay girl chit chat. But um, I want to ask you two more questions that I always end the show with, which we've covered a little bit, but like, let's get more into it. First, how do you identify with the word spiritual? Anything you want to say around that? And then second, how do you identify with the word queer? And anything you still feel like you need to say about that? Yeah, so spiritual, I would identify as a spiritual baby. That's what I call myself. I'm like a little spiritual infant. I only dipped my toes into the world of spirituality like 10 months ago at the beginning of this year, maybe like it is very very new to me. And I'm embracing and loving that so deeply. Like I love the fact that I have no idea about so many things. I love the fact that somebody tells me something about the chakras and I'm like, that's new to me. That's amazing. And I love this like feeling of being like reborn into a new kind of thing. If that makes sense, I grew up very religious. And so, you know, I did the religious thing. I really loved it. I love my relationship with God. And I've found that being spiritual, I can still have that, but I can Mm -hmm. also have this relationship with like the universe as a whole and like everybody around me and source and like being connected. And so, yeah, I would say I can value and honestly as queer, same thing (laughs) as queer, Queer, I would say, Yeah, queer baby. Um, For queer, I'd say I identify just because I don't think that love looks like a gender to me or looks like a certain haircut or a shape of the face or like a size shoe. Like love to me is just like finding a person that you can sit with and talk with and your nervous systems are co-regulating and you just feel great together. (laughs) Has nothing to do with a vagina or a penis and it has everything to do do with you regulating your nervous system together oh my god I saw this tiktok the other day that was like it was a tiktoker stitching another tiktok of like this just the broiest guy that just looked like a fuck boy and he was like and the, the guy is like just give him a chance listen and the guy's like you guys I've realized something we all are looking for girls that fit the description of the wife that we want and we're all like listing things that we want in a woman and then we're not happy when we find it because you know what you should do 
you should focus on how you feel when you're around her. He was like, he was like, I, I met a girl and I feel so good around her. She doesn't check any of the boxes on my list, but I like the way I feel when I'm around her. And like, that's what we should be going for. And we were all just like cheering on this guy. <laughs> but really, it's like, that's what I've been realizing. Like I have, everyone at fruition got to witness me fall in love. And this girl doesn't check any of the boxes really that like, I think that I need because I let go of all of that. This idea of like, who's your type? Like, I let go of all of that. And I was like, I want to find someone that just makes me feel so loved and seen and safe and like celebrates me for who I am. And then that person was like, I'm over here, I think. <laughs> and, you know, it's really like, I just love what you said. Like, we're going to clip that out. Like, love is finding someone who your nervous system is co-regulated with. Absolutely. And I love what you're saying about the boxes, because I think that we have these boxes. I don't think they have anything to do with us and what we truly want. I think they're what we think we should want, what we had in the past and lost and want to have again, what society told us we wanted. But like when we get to the core of it, do we really care about somebody's or their hair or, you know, how outgoing they are? Like, does that really matter? Or does it matter that they make you feel safe and seen? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's it's just about how you feel. And that's that to me, that's the end of the line when it comes to sexuality. It's just simply about how you feel when you're with someone. That's all that matters. We don't need to use any other words. And um, okay, I'm like, I just one more question. When you say you dipped your toes into spirituality, I just I feel like we got to know what you mean by that. What does it mean to dip your toes in spirituality? So full disclosure, up until a year ago, I was completely asleep to the point where like I would do something and it would hurt a million people. And I would sincerely have no idea. Like I would go just like tuned into like my, 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 my Mm -hmm. world, my needs, my desires that I had no idea that there were energies around me that I I was affecting that were affecting me. And so I think that's where my spiritual journey began was like 10 months ago. I dove headfirst actually into self-awareness and it was like this big whoosh and I was like holy shit every action that I act upon has this ripple and affects people and I was mind blown open and so if you are just starting your spiritual journey and you feel like you're late to the party that's fine you are safe to be late to the party the party will still welcome you like People who have been spiritual for 10 times longer than me, like Jane, have been amazing mentors and have welcomed me into the spiritual world and showed me like, it's okay. (laughs) Yes, yes. Welcoming all the spiritual babies and all the spiritual gays. And I love that though, because that, that is when I talk about third eye awakenings. Like that's literally, you had an awakening. You were like, whoa, I am a person in the universe that is influencing the world around me in some way. And I want to tune into that and wake the fuck up. And so, you know, all people are spiritual, but I love the way that you just described that. I knew I had to ask you that because you're, you're helping me understand that's when people become spiritual. They have to have some sort of awakening to the autopilot that we've all been on. So that's Allison. You have so many amazing stories. You have so much wisdom to share for everyone who's obsessing over her. Lucky for you, she has a podcast. You can go listen to it. You can go listen to Jane like deep in her difficult times this summer. I'm, I've been wanting to listen back to that just to like feel into that energy. I need and to have you back. Else? I need to have you back on. Yes, I would love to be back on anytime. Obviously, I want to talk to you for the next like four hours. Um, But sadly, time is linear in today's moment. And we have to, we have to wrap up, but how can, um, 
the listeners that want to go find you come and find you and listen to your show and learn more about you uh, come hang out we're on instagram at wishyouwell.podcast i'll send it over to jane and that's kind of the best place to find me you can go to my link in bio and that'll have streaming platforms it'll have my website my podia actually is launching this week which will have Yay. access classes and my courses and stuff like that which is huge and exciting so be sure to check that out and, and yeah say hi i love dms i love talking to you guys i love connecting with other people's audiences and knowing how incredible jane is i'm sure that all of her listeners are just fucking angels too <sighs> my listeners are all just fucking angels that's definitely true and <laughs> halo. And uh, I will link all of that in the show notes so you guys can go find her. And if anything that was shared today, if Allison gave you any wisdom that supported you, she'd love to hear from you. Reach out to her, connect with her. The more we can connect, you know, we're obviously building an incredible network of amazing people here in this work that we're doing. So Allison, thank you so much for not only walking this path, but being brave enough to share your journey with us. You are helping so many people. You have helped so many people just in this episode. I want to try that. It's an ER. <laughs> yeah. And I love you so much. I'm so grateful that you took the time to come and be on the show. And I'm so grateful that you just reached out and said, let me be on your show. Cause this has been potent af i'm so glad that you did and i can't wait to have you back again thank you so much for having me jane and for letting me take up the space and for sharing your energy with me because truly when i saw the rebrand for spiritually queer i was like get me on that motherfucking list and sure enough you did it here you are oh my gosh well thank you everyone so much for listening and we hope you have a beautiful day and we love you Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope it felt inspiring to your being. Please share this show with someone who you think might need to hear this message today. Spread the love and spread the light. And if you really loved it, you can leave us a rating and a review so that even more cool homies can tune into this show as well. If you're interested in working with me one-on-one or joining one of my programs like Sunrise or Sanctuary, check out my website, janelion.me. Links are all in the show notes. May you go into the world today and be more kind, more compassionate, and more loving towards yourself and others than you were yesterday. And I love you. And I cannot wait to see you for the next episode.